You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor podcast. Tyson uh, Tyson Alger here. I'm getting used to my own name. It's it's only like the 36th episode here, Andrew. Uh, joined by Andrew Greif, recurring guest at this point. Um, we're both covering the pre Prefontaine Classic this weekend. Um, we have a preview for the the most important race of the Prefontaine Classic coming up as well. But uh, first, before we get into anything, I wanted to get into oh, about two weeks ago. I wrote a story on um, Brian McAndrew, who wrote a song Steve Prefontaine, and I had you kind of like lightly copy edit it before it got posted, and you like gave me a full on like stop the presses. You need to make one quick change here, and it's because that I always associated Coos Bay and North Bend as kind of like the same place, and so I think I had Pre from North Bend, but obviously, obviously he's from Coos Bay, and I just wanted to ask you, like, how much trouble did I almost get into with that one? You almost honestly walked into a huge like hornet's <laughs> nest. Uh, it is there's a there's a when I was growing up, uh, my dad was the track coach at North Bend High School, and. Um, there was a movie, you know, in like the mid nineties, there were those two Prefontaine movies. Right. And, um, there's in one of the movies and I forget which one it is, if it's the Tom Cruise produced one or the other one, but there's a line when Prefontaine's like working on a construction site with his dad, who's a builder. And the other builder on the site is like, Hey, did you kick North Bend's butt last night in the dual meet? And Steve's like, yeah. And, um, <laughs> uh, I saw it because I was at the showing at the North Bend movie theater with my dad's track team. And the whole track team booed. It was like, <laughs> just imagine like, you know, 40 or 50 pretty upset, right. like, boo. So it's, I mean, it's pretty, it was always a pretty good rivalry. I don't really know what it's like now. They've changed like division. They're not always competing in the same classification. But yes, uh, so, CP Bonane is not from North Bend. So like here, here's where my brain logic went is, uh, so like I can appreciate not calling it the wrong thing because like I'm from Palmer, Alaska and like we always hated Wasilla and Wasilla is like 10 minutes away, kind of like similar, similar kind of uh, distance. But there was like a general term for the area we lived in. It was called the Valley. It was the Matanuska Valley. And for some reason for 10 years now here in Oregon, I assumed North Bend was kind of like the general like distinction for that area. Um, and I that's was wrong. The, and, and that's I, the Bay I, area. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, so, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. That. No, it's, it's funny because since leaving and kind of going out in the world, I will sometimes say Coos Bay, because if you say North Bend, people think you're from Bend, the central part of the state. Exactly. You know, like a, like a suburb, like, oh, so where Ash and Eaton's from? No, that's three and a half hours away. So it sometimes saves me the, um, the kind of explanation uh, by saying I'm just from like Coos Bay, because people seem to know that. Right. So it's it's Tuesday right now. We're recording this. This will come out on Wednesday. Uh, the Prefontaine Classic starts on Friday. You are coming up to cover for the LA Times. I'm going to cover it for I, the, the Corridor is having me go down and, and cover it this week. And uh, I'm really excited for this one because I've never covered the Pre-Classic before. It's been one of those things where I think just about every friend adjacent that I've had have has covered it at some point. Um, two, it's going to be like the first thing that I've covered at the new Hayward uh Hayward Field although I did get like the little um preseason last year uh tour through it so like it's an incredible place but then three and this is what really people want to talk about is uh on Saturday morning there is a 
media only 400 meters. Uh, it's called Race the Wave Light, I believe. And, uh, and you and I are going to throw down in that thing. And I just, you know, four days before we run, I just want to know, like, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm just generally sore because <laughs> I tried. When we decided to do this, it was about two weeks out. Mm-hmm. And I messaged my dad, again, a track coach, and sort of said, you know, what, what does someone who keeps in, you know, fairly decent shape, but certainly not sprinting, what should I do? And he gave me some rough outline, you know, oh, run a 400, maybe do some corner starts, run, run the curves on the track, just keep yourself familiar with it, you know, maybe do that a couple of <laughs> times. I like did it that first day, sent the message, kind of went out in the morning and like, again, just totally, my body was like, we don't do that now uh, to me for like the last but week. I imagine you still... You probably still run like pretty regularly, like longer, longer distances though. Yeah, totally. But it's, um, you know, I definitely, I'm still really active, but that type of activity is something I left behind, uh, a long time ago. And it was, uh, the sprinting has definitely, um, made my body say, remember these muscles, you don't do those anymore. (laughs) And, and, and from my very limited track knowledge, uh, if I remember correctly, the 400 is always kind of commonly referred to as the easiest race in the sport. Correct. (laughs) It's, it's because it's all, it's only one lap and, uh, and you have to sprint it the entire time. Um, so yeah, I'm as someone who is the same, what you just said, minus the physically active part. Um, I'm, I'm really looking for actually, it got even worse because last week I was playing the squash with a friend and as we were playing, he tore his Achilles, like saw it happen. Like in person, he thought that I had hit him, like dropped to the ground and, uh, Achilles is like my nightmare of an injury. And, uh, for like the last like eight days, I've gone to sleep thinking that, well, if I'm going to tear my Achilles, I might as well do it at like Hayward field. Right. Right. Yeah. If I, if I injured myself pretty critically, it'd be a kind of a full circle moment because when I was a freshman in college, I actually broke my nose at Hayward field. Um, the old, how'd you do that? Well, a teammate of mine, a javelin. No, um, actually I know a guy who, uh, one of my old teammates who fell onto a javelin once and went through his knee Oh my! and it, he was totally fine. Yeah. He actually threw like, it's crazy. As, as you will be after getting in paid by a javelin. (laughs) But that's another story. But (laughs) I was, um, no, I was a practice and, I had one of my two, my teammates were goofing off. They had a big, thick, like I think of a thick roll of athletic tape, you know, like a real, <laughs> and they were throwing it back to each other, like at baseball. And one teammate um, was directly to my left and I had my back to what they were doing. And he, I guess my other teammate hucked it as hard as he could at him to see if he'd catch it. I happened to turn oh, at no. that exact moment and it, he, he missed and it hit me right on the, the bridge like the side of my nose and so i was gonna ask it like like head on or just to the side to the side so i feel like uh, i'd rather break my nose from that angle than like the straight on yeah it was a much yeah i had some bruising i had some surgery uh university of oregon has paid for a nose surgery of mine um (laughs) but that was so i've bled on that track so if i had another injury there i guess it would be like taking it back just for one more time for memory's sake (laughs) have you have you been to the new hayward yet I haven't. I've known lots of people who've been, um, you know, obviously they're pretty impressed with it. So I'll, I'll be very, I'll be very curious to see what it's like. Cause I had a lot of emotional attachment to the old Hayward from my dad's track teams. They'd go up for state meet every single year and they'd always sit in the exact same spot in the historic East grandstands 
So that was always like a place I'd spend, you know, a weekend of May of my life. Right. So I, I, and then obviously I, you know, had a lot of time, a couple of years there competing. So, um, so I always loved old Hayward, but I'm also someone who knew that like the bathrooms were not, um, were, it was, they were not enough. They were not plentiful. It was obviously anything but ADA compliant. Um, you know, you had to be yeah. able-bodied to go see him eat there basically. So I also couldn't recognize that there was a lot that needed to be changed. When, while realizing that, I imagine, especially because of the discourse they had while that thing was being built and being teared down and everything, like, what was your, like, the go-to memory, like, like, the first thing that pops up in your head of, like, this was, like, my memory of Old Hayward? Yeah, it really is, like, that East Grandstands, which already was the historic side of the stadium, and sort of just spending a lot of time there watching the backstretch you know, the runners come down the backstretch or that's where the pole vault and long jump runways were, um, you know, when high school in the state meets, when I would compete in the jumps, like I was always looking into those stands, that side of the stand. So yeah, the East grandstands were always the thing that people from what I could tell were fighting for to preserve during the, should they rebuild? Should they right. tear down process? Um, I don't know how you would have done that totally, but you know, I think emotionally, it's it was always something like, oh, that's 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 the only thing that really mattered to me. But I'm also, again, I'm I'm of the mind that, um, you know, change is okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like we're we're both in the newspaper business. Like, like we, we we've had to like long get rid of like any sort of nostalgic bone in our bodies. Um, I've always thought that like that's by far the coolest thing, though, is like that the state track meets and cross country meets. Um, like I said, I've never actually covered a college meet at Hayward, but I've been there for state track before. And uh, I think that's like one of the cooler, like unique gems about the state, because this isn't a state where like the state high school football championship game is played at like the NFL stadium or like there's no like MO, like there's no like other like big professional uh, arenas other than like the Moda Center for basketball or like you like kind of play at that Mecca. And I, I imagine it's probably, I, I saw some pictures from, was it the state meet already last week? It, yes. the, yeah, the state meet last week at Hayward. And it was just like, man, that's got to be so cool being like a 17-year-old, like running And Granted, it's a different final stretch from when you were there. But like that's that's got to like feel like as cool as you can get, like when you're at, the, at that age and at that sport and at that location. Oh, 100%. Especially for like, because they only recently brought like the really small schools there because they used to compete at Western Oregon University for their state meet. So they didn't even get the full Hayward experience. Right. But now it's like everybody's at Hayward. I think that's got to be really cool for like the 1A students because I remember, you know, we were 3A when I was in at North Bend High School. Um, so like, you know, not Coos Bay. You know, yeah, middle, middle of the pack <laughs> in terms of classification, in terms of size. So you, when you go to any sort of meet from high school and you're long jumping, you're dealing with you know, okay, if I go to this high school, there's going to be like basically gravel in the long jump pit, you know, or <laughs> never like the highest quality facilities. Right. Um, and then you would go to Hayward Field and the, and the sand was like Caribbean beach level of, it's like, know, it's like your first pristine. time going to a nice golf course where they actually take care of the, the sand pits. <laughs> I've still never done that, but yes. Yeah. Um, so it, it was, it was like, wow, this is what it must be like. It's like you were jumping into like sugar or something like that. So uh, yeah, I'll be really curious to see what it's like. And especially because it is the, hey, the pre-classic is sort of known as outside of, you know, like a world championships or an Olympics. It's, it's sometimes is considered like maybe one of the best fields of any 
track meet on the whole calendar. Um, so I think that, cause you know, it's got the full weight of Nike behind it. Um, and so, you know, obviously they're, they're going to want, you know, as many of their elite elite athletes as they can get there. So the fields are always outstanding. Um, you know, you're always going to see like a world leading time or whatnot. So yeah, it's going to be, I think it's gonna be a good experience. Is being a former track athlete, the worst former athlete you can be because like aside from like learning how to like take care of yourself and like a lifelong of physical fitness, but like, like long distance runners can still go run like a 5k, a 10, you know, like they can still do their sport later on, or like I can still go play hockey somewhere. Uh, I can't imagine you're like long jumping all that often these days. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, no, I've definitely never uh, considered doing that ever since I left. Like, if, like, like, if you find be, someone, if you find someone, true, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, that's just got to be such a weird thing to be like really, really, really good at one thing and then to like never do it again the rest of your life. It's a good point. I think if you did find someone who was just like recreationally triple jumping, you should probably have a conversation <laughs> with them about like, what are we doing here? Because that's just going to wreck your knees for the next three decades of your life. But yeah, it's, I've definitely transitioned uh, into the, uh, you know, distance runner mentality ever since then, for sure. But yeah, you know, there, there are worse outcomes than being a former triple jumper and long jumper. I, I remember like one of the, this was my first year on the Oregon beat. And so you were still living in Eugene and your roommate was uh, Jesse. Am I remembering that name right? Yeah, Jesse Williams. Uh, Jesse Williams. And we had just finished, I think it was like the signing day press conference. So it was like February. I, I think I've just gotten on the beat and we were writing uh and transcribing at your the the house you guys shared and you were like hey man like check this out and like you like walked over to the desk like fourth bottom drawer and just like pulled out i think it was a gold medal that he had was it from like the world championships or something like that and i was yeah. just like man like this is so cool because like that was still like early in my time in oregon and like you when you're new to a place you just like really exaggerate in your brain like the cool things there so it's like oh man this is like the track mecca like man does everyone have a gold medal in the bottom of their drawers like just like sitting around here like i need to i need to get to work on this <laughs> that is kind of the interesting thing about eugene i was actually talking to a track coach about this recently about how uh, you know eugene's got a really good trail system for like running obviously and people know that probably but you know because of that they'll just sort of be running and you'll bump into nick simmons you know olympian on the 800 or at, you know, insert Olympian name X here. And like, there's a pretty good chance if you're on priest trail, uh, you're going to see someone who is world-class. And I, I, I sort of equate it to like, I guess what it must be like to see a, like a true celebrity in Los Angeles, like, you know, like where you sort of like respectfully, you know, you don't like make a big deal out of it. You sort of just like nod and keep your, keep it moving. That's like sort of what it was like. Like a, like a Bill Oram or like a Kyle Goon or, right. you know, yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't want to bother them kind of ruin their day but there are there is some sort of charm to that in eugene for sure what uh what's the allure to you of of like the pre-classics like specifically um because like i even know that like you you kind of like got a little bit of like your your journalism chops there too like haven't you always kind of like volunteered or like done some sort of coverage with with the pre or what, yeah what did was... you like or like I, I just remember like seeing like old photos when i first started of like you and jeff smith down there together Totally. Jeff Smith was always awesome to me. Um, former Oregonian reporter, great guy, uh, who, both of, one of our friends. And he would hook me up with um, the meet director, basically, or like the PR director. And they would they say, hey, we need someone to help transcribe quotes. Like every winner, we want to make sure we have quotes from them because the international press who can't be here, 
you know, they might use that. So we would try to divide and conquer, like, you know, I'll get the Hungarian hammer thrower and, you know, I'll get the, (laughs) you know, and so we would always inevitably miss somebody. And and regrettably, it was almost always someone from a field event because they were a little more anonymous. Um, So as someone who's a field event person, I sort of felt bad about that, but um, I, yeah, it was, we did that for a number of years and then I started working at it for Oregonian, but it was, um, it's a, it's a, I think the thing that makes it unique too, is that most track meets are pretty drawn out affairs, you know, like several hours and it's every single event, um, with the pre it's a made for TV deal where it's like, we have a two and a half hour window and we're going to jam in as much high level stuff as we can and bring you like the big stars. So I think that's the appeal of the pre too, is like, you're seeing a lot in a couple hours and for reporters covering it, I think it's helpful for us because you're going to talk to a lot of people who are, you know, going to be back here for world championships probably in July or certainly the USA championships. So there's, um, there's a kind of a lot, a lot of people to see and talk with in a pretty short window. We, we were talking about this a little bit off mic before we started, but it's still, I still haven't been able to quite wrap my brain around the fact that worlds are going to be here in July and the fact that, um, I don't know how many people like they're expecting in terms of just like influx into the city, but Eugene's already like one of those towns, like on like a big football weekend, or like, even if you're driving around there, like before a basketball game, like it can be, it can be tight. And, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how it, how it goes a month from now, just in terms of like, I mean, obviously, like, I think, I think the events at Hayward are going to be spectacular. Like Oregon knows how to throw a really good track meet. Um, there's just not a whole lot of hotels in the area, man. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, really since 2008, when the Olympic trials came back to Eugene um, and that started the run of Eugene hosting pretty much every major meet of consequence. Um, it's a really good time to have like an available spare bedroom or an ADU. <laughs> it's a, I shouldn't say a good time. It's a lucrative time because, right. you know, or if you have a place to be in the summer, you can just leave your house and rent it out. Like, that is a legit money-making enterprise because they're the hotel capacity alone is never going to fill it up. I mean, I was talking to some other people who were going to come for the pre-classic and they're like staying in Corvallis really? and Jeez. some people are staying in Portland, um, just coming down the day of need. So, I mean, yeah. we've, we've seen how it can just blow up on like football Saturdays. Like we used to, when we were with the, with the, Oh, we used to stay at that Marriott, um, on gateway. Um, and I think like on like a random Tuesday, Wednesday night, like we could maybe get it for like, what, like a buck 20 or so. Um, and then that same thing, like if like any football weekend now, like if it's a Friday, Saturday or Sunday, it's like $800, like it's insane. And, uh, the oatmeal is not that good. (laughs) I mean, there's a reason, like we mentioned earlier that these meets have been held like a world championship meet. They're held in Paris. Uh, you know, they're held in Moscow. They're held in, you know, even Daegu, South Korea, where it was, um, a few, you know, a few meets ago for the outdoors, like that's a multi-million person city. You know, it's not a small place. It's not 150,000 people like Eugene is. So I think the hotel crunch is obviously it's a real thing. And they've opened up some new hotels from what I can tell. They have, they have yeah. one, um, they have kind of right in uh, Springfield. Yeah. They opened up those like two ones, like right when you're taking, if you take like the last exit to come into Eugene going South and like before you curl around to, um, why can't I think of the main street name, but the one that goes by the basketball stadium. Yeah, Franklin. Yeah, it's um, 
I, it's, I, I don't good. I good luck if you haven't got your tickets <laughs> yet because and you're coming from out of town. It, it feels like it's trying to get like remember when people were going to find like the best places to watch like the eclipse right. in 2016. You know, and, like the places where it's going to be the totality. It's like they were sold out for years. That's what it's like in Eugene every summer because there's just nowhere to go really. So uh, yeah, open up that cabin you have on the Mackenzie River because someone's going to want to <laughs> pay a pretty penny for it. Have you have you covered an Olympics yet? Uh, no, no. I was, was I was almost on the Olymp the travel party for Tokyo, and then obviously when the pandemic hit, party travel parties had to be shrunk down, and um, I was okay staying home. So that that's that's one of the things that I wanted to ask you is when I first started, like when it became kind of realistic to me that like oh I might be on like work for like a big city metro someday or or whatever like i always had i always wanted to cover no, an olympics and it was funny having that dream because like always listening to ken go talk about how much he hated covering the olympics and granted i was like 21 and ken's you know was getting close to retirement age so there's definitely a big difference in terms of like what someone sees at work as work and what someone sees as like oh this would be awesome uh but yeah, like that's, it's still kind of like a bucket list thing that I want to do. Like I, I want to, I, I would love to be like a, a GA writer that just gets like assigned to cover whatever sport at the Olympics. Like, I, I think that would be so fun to like get forced to drop into like writing like a full on feature gamer on like the hammer throw competition or this or that, or just like those random, like Chuck Culpepper type of stories where he just happens to mine like the most random stuff out. And, and that's what I, I think like that's the approach that I want to take for the worlds when they're here is just like, what else is the corridor going to do for that? It's like, you know, like we're not, I'm not necessarily like, I don't have any responsibilities for it. So I think I'm just going to try to find like the most like zany fly on the wall type of type of things for, for that month. And that's the stuff I feel like as a reader, I remember the most from the Olympics, you know, like I, it's kind of cliche, but when we grew up, it was always like those kind of heart tugging features that NBC would put together, right. Of the games. And you'd like, like the, the twinkling piano in the background, like yeah. that's sort of the stories people remember, not like the competition, but like who they were. And I think there's a lot of those, clearly there's, there's tons of those stories at any big game, not that I've ever covered one, but um, yeah. So I think that that vein of like sports writing is awesome. I, I like love consuming that stuff more than I ever do like event coverage of like what happened and what was the score. Um, so I think you're on the right track. When, uh, when the Clippers signed Kawhi and, PG, I can't imagine that you would like thought that you would have uh, like your maze available. <laughs> <laughs> like, like yeah. I don't know, like, like after watching all you guys go on to the NBA beats, like I've always been like, I think I could do that, but I'd want to like, I think covering the Blazers would probably be like my peak in terms of like how long of a season that I want to do. Cause like I've been, I've been texting with Connor Letourneau a little bit and you know, like the Warriors are full on going to go to the finals again. And, the, and, and he was supposed to be off the beat this year, too. And it's turned into like another, you know, September through July affair. Yeah, I mean, it was weird when even this year when uh, obviously Kawhi wasn't playing, but the they, they were pretty strong going into the play in game. And I had, you know, my tabs open for hotel rooms in Memphis and hotel rooms in Phoenix. And OK, they lost the first playing game in Minnesota. OK, you can close the Memphis tab. Um, but I just, you know, I really thought they were going to get through one way or another. So when they, when they didn't, when they lost, it was kind of like a, huh. And I looked at the calendar. I was like, wow, there's really not like a Clippers game, like a, outside of summer league until early October. Um, 
that was, and it was mid April. That was a little strange um, for sure. But I think next year is going to be a long, could be a very long year. Obviously they, the Clippers hope it's a long year and not in like a trying sense, but like, you know, a long year in that they could be playing until father's day. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I do feel for sometimes like the reporters who like Connor are going to like three finals in a row. Cause you're, you're working. You're, that's a grind for like 10 and a half months at the same time. Let's think about this from our listeners perspective. Like a lot of people would say, I would die to yeah. cover that grind for 10 and a half months being around, you know, sports team so there's there's a lot it's like prince's problems you know what i mean that, that that's why i've stayed with like my college football niche is like i could do another rose bowl like i don't mind like <laughs> yeah tack that on at the end of the year that's like a, a week of free free drinks and food and uh quite the gorgeous stadium still <laughs> is uh is your guy Devin allen how do you think he's gonna do uh as a, as a track slash football guy uh, obviously, he was. Uh, that's his intent. I mean. Oh, okay. So, let, so because that was the, one of our first podcasts was with him. It, it actually was. I might have to see if those those still exist. <laughs> actually, you know what's funny is when when we signed off at, for the last uh, official official visit podcast, um, I never took like the the feed down, and so it's like the Oregonians official visit podcast, and um, my good friend uh, Elliot Noose. Uh, who's still at the Oregonian. Uh, he used to be like the podcast director now. I think Andrew Thing does that now. But they, like a few years ago, they were trying to kind of like streamline like all of like the Oregonian things. And he's like, hey, is there any chance that like, like you can give me the password to your, uh, just, just so like you can like either archive it or like make it like uniform or this or that. And like, I, I had hosted it through some site called Podbean. And I'm pretty damn sure I used like my Oregonian email to set it up, which like oh, no, no longer no longer exists. So uh, um, I at some point I think it got deleted because I got a new credit card and can update. I, I probably owe them a lot of money, but they they might still live somewhere. I although I was trying to find our Willie Taggart milk story, um, couldn't find it, and that might have been our best work. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I, I really do think that. Like, it's kind of cool. I, I, cause I thought about him when I saw it with, with Devin Allen, but like, it is pretty cool that when we, I remember talking to him on that podcast uh, and he was what, a sophomore, basically yeah, a retro and, freshman. And, like it was, it was before he really even like super broke out too. Like we had him like really early and yeah. I mean, he was basically that, describing his next few years to us and it's actually happened for him. Right. You know, he's like, I want to be pro and track. Like I want to go to the NFL. Like obviously as the NFL thing hasn't to this point, like he's not in the in the NFL, but like you know, he's a chance to with the Eagles. Right. So I think I think it's pretty cool. To like we heard him like kind of like try to speak into into existence. It was um, it's one of those things where like I went back and watched a lot of his college tape, and like obviously like the kid's like super athletic. Like you can't deny that he'd, he'd probably be one of the fastest guys in the NFL right now. I don't know how good he is as a receiver. Like I just simply don't know. Uh, a lot of those like touchdowns and big plays he had at Oregon were at a time where like, you know, defenses had to ba essentially pick a guy to not cover because you had to keep track of like Marcus's running ability, his playmaking ability, and like that offense like threw guys like wide open. And so like Devin often had plays where he had just either completely burned his defender or he was just wide open by like 30 yards. And so, yeah, I, I have no idea how good he'll be, but I, I wouldn't bet against him because he has a pretty good wait for it track record so far with what he puts his mind to 
you know, I had made a track pun earlier and didn't even catch it. So wait, wait uh, which one? I said it. Everything looked like it was, you know, on track. And oh, um, you, so anyway. All right, we're going to start this over. All right, welcome back to the. <laughs> All these, you know, I think with the um, with the the way the new Hayward Field is set up, I think the thing I'm most interested to see is sort of like. Um, like where can they host more seats for the world championships? Yeah. This is something that's probably been talked about ad nauseum, but like maybe it's probably I not. I don't pay, I don't, I don't pay attention a whole lot. So <laughs> it's probably not super sexy podcast talk, but you know, they're going to have to, to host tons of people, you know, more than that stadium allows. And it's such a enveloping structure. So for one side, like where do you put the extra seats? So um, yeah, I'll just be, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, Eugene does track pretty much better than anybody else, but They've never hosted something like this, so yeah, uh, I very curious. You know, I, one thing and I saw it was supposed to rain this weekend potentially, so I'm a little I hope it I hope it holds off because obviously there's faster times and whatnot when it when it's better weather. But I will say one thing that um, I think readers should pay attention to or listeners pay attention to this weekend, the pre, and I have an interest in this because I'm covering it. But there's a guy from just north of LA, kind of the Thousand Oaks area, called Newbury Park High School. And he's going to be, he's a high schooler, he's a high school senior named Colin Salmon. And there's like an argument to be made that he's having the best season as a distance runner in U.S. history. Like that includes cross country where he set the national record and he's a four minute miler and he's trying to beat Alan Webb's record um, from 2001, which is like three minutes, 53 seconds. He has a PR of three minutes, 58 seconds. That's Big what gap. I'm shooting for in my 400 on, on Saturday. <laughs> but it's, uh, I would just keep an eye on that because a little bit of magic could happen there. Um, I actually saw Alan Webb break the national record in 2001 at the pre-classic. I was an eighth grader watching it happen live. So I told Colin this week when I saw him, I was like, it's kind of freaky to be like talking to you about covering a, huh. you know, a, a record that I saw happen in front of me. Um, but so he's one for, for sure to watch. Um, as, as just an aside, Tyson. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say uh, this. This might sound like a really stupid question coming off of that. But like so much of like what we write about is like people's recollections of like a big event from like 20, 25 years ago. And I, for some reason, it just came to mind. Um, I think it was a Steve Mims story where he went back and wrote. Uh, a story about the pick from the perspective of everyone who was in the picture on the sidelines, or maybe you wrote that. I think Mims did one too, but I did one too. And, yeah. Um, but what, what's it like kind of like writing something like that, but then also actually having like the real memory, like in your head too, because like, like so, so much of what we do is like trying to put a picture together, but then like actually like having a reference point has got to be like an interesting way of like having to like, go about putting a story together yeah it is interesting because like you said we asked people pretty specific questions about something that happened a long time ago for me my in my kind of my own self-interrogation of what i remember about that moment i can i basically can just remember that it was like a super hot day it's beautiful and what the sound of the stadium exploded in noise and like they had the world record holder who was running in the race and um he basically you know, gave him this big hug afterward, knowing that he, and it was only recently going doing some research that I realized that, you know, Alan Webb's personal best going into that race was three minutes, 59 seconds. And he got pulled basically to that six second PR essentially um, by a super fast race. And so that's obviously what a guy like Salman is hoping for, like 
to make right. up that gap by being, you know, in a pro race that is obviously pretty much everyone there is going to run sub four, which is very different than your typical high school race. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting time. I think that um, with distance running too, I didn't realize that when Webb broke four minutes in 2001, first guy, first high schooler to do it since 1967. And in the last uh, seven years, there've been 12 high schoolers in the U S to do it. So we're kind of in this middle of this running boom, um, you know, super fast high schoolers who have obviously great shoes um, that that's, that's helping, but there's something else going on too. And they're just like, so I think he is emblematic. Solomon is of like a really, really fast race we're in. That's not going to be the race we're in. That's going to be a different type of speed. Do, do you have a time in mind? Let's, let's get back to the important stuff. So it's funny because that wave light technology, for people who don't know, basically it's like these little lights on the, that run, you know, run the interior of the track that light up. To, it looks like it's a, it looks like, a, like a wave of light that you're chasing. Mm-hmm. That's like they can set it to be certain paces for like world record pace or it gives people, it's like imagine the yellow first down marker, what that did for football, for perspective. That's what this is sort of like for track fans. Do, do you, they do, do will they do the, excuse me, would they use that in like pro competition? Like to have yes. like a pay? Interesting. Yeah. So uh, for us, I was joking with someone I know who helps out with me. I'm like, what pace are they going to put that light at? Because <laughs> ain't nobody running a world record. Right. <laughs> um, if I had a time in mind, uh, I mean, if I, if in my full on chariots of fire dreams, it'd be a 59 second, 400. Uh, I think more realistic is like, what about a one Oh, about a one Oh eight? What about a one Oh seven? Anything so, less than that. And I'd be pretty stoked. I think the last time I actually ran like a 400 meters around the track was, uh, my senior year of senior year of college. My two roommates were both on Montana's track team. Um, actually one of them, Greg Lindstrom, he's from Portland. Uh, he went to grants, I believe. And, uh, he was a distance runner from them, but, uh, it was like August. It was like a week before school started and they were like, Hey, like you're our new roommate this year. You have to come down and do the beer mile with, with the whole track team. So we go down to, it's like 10 PM. They have like four cars down mm-hmm. on the field with like the, the headlights, like illuminating the track. And it's me who. Uh, I was on Montana's club hockey team, emphasis on club at the time. Um, so I wasn't in the best shape of my life. Um, and they're all, you know, track runners. And there's probably like 50 people all in like great shape. And um, I knew I had one distinct advantage. And that was I, I was confident in my ability to chug a beer faster than most of, most of these runners. And so for people who aren't familiar, a beer mile is... You have to chug a beer, run a lap, chug a beer, run a lap chug, until you get to four beers and four miles or four, one mile. And um, I made it three quarters of the way around the track before I got passed for second. <laughs> like I, 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 I tore through the beer and was just like, well, I'm going to sprint. And it went pretty well. And then uh, so, yeah, I, I think I can I think I can do a 400 meters. Um, it didn't go well after after about 400 meters, but I, I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty confident in my ability to at least not um, not make the, the finish line here. So when you told me that you were signing up for this, um, I initially had said, good luck. I'll cheer you on. I'm not doing it because the trepidation. Then, then, you, then you texted back like 10 minutes later. You're like, I'm in, baby. <laughs> yeah. So what happened in those 10 minutes was that when I was a, 
either a freshman or sophomore at Oregon um, before one of the Pac-10 championship meets. I think I was a freshman. The university hosted a media decathlon <laughs> at Hayward Field. And I don't think they did the full 10. Like, I don't think they did pull all, but there was, it was, you know, an attempt was made at multiple events. And I remember watching from the Bowerman building as these people would, you know, go through the different events. And I distinctly remember watching someone uh, go for a high jump. The bar was like basically at the level of the mat. So, it, you know, maybe, I don't know, three foot two. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, honestly, I don't, it was that low, but um, kind of a middle-aged person, probably someone who was around our age or maybe a little older and um, tore his Achilles. Oh man. Oh no. Or as a hamstring, one of the two, it's not, neither is a good option. So right. just, I mean, and I remember being like, Oh, like from where I was standing, like knowing it was pop and seeing that person for weeks later about like you know, having like a rap on whatever part was injured. Um, I remember distinctly Adam Jude, who now works at Seattle times. He was in his still early to mid twenties. He like, dominated the competition. Oh, I was about to say, he'd be a pretty darn good at that. Yeah, he like would did a job. He did a really good job. And I remember watching him do some sprints. Um, but yeah, and I also remember watching a, a competitor suffer through the media 800. Oh, did um, they did an 800? They did an 800 and they actually had a, they had a announcer in the Hayward Field like announcing box who was calling the meet. I think it was Tom Heinemann, who's the former Oregon women's track coach for a number of years. <laughs> and this is the other thing I distinctly remember is that Watching this person who will go unnamed, who was, I mean, it must have been an eight minute 800. Yeah. Um, and the announcer was like tongue in cheek, but was like, and here we have so and so who appears to be going for the world's slowest 800 oh meters. You know, obviously everyone's having a good time. No one thought we were, they're going to be like setting records here, just like we aren't. But it was, it was a pretty fun experience. So I had thought about that. I don't want to, name myself <laughs> or bring embarrassment on my name all right well when you're when you're behind me uh in the 400 and you're wondering what type of deodorant that it's old spice uh you know you'll only be able to smell it for a little bit before i i wipe the track with you on saturday so i think that's happening at like 8 a.m is or 8 or 9 a.m yeah i think that i'm most forward to looking to getting breakfast with you afterwards yes and absolutely putting that behind us wait wait but um, afterwards I was thinking of doing like a, like a full like biscuits and gravy, but like carbo loading, baby. <laughs> we'll do that the night before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks, Andrew. We will check in with you again at some point. Like the, this, this is kind of like your your second home now as a, as a featured guest on the official visit. Wait, we're not. Did by the way, when I opened up, did I say official visit too, or did I say corridor? I think I. Said I don't corridor. think you said official. I don't think you, I think you said corridor. I was going to say do to the people. Maybe if the demand is such with this podcast, maybe we have to give them an emergency podcast Saturday morning to understand how we did. It'll be like three minutes of us being like, well, that was terrible. That sucked. Oh, I, I completely expect you to do like an old school, like Oregon Live, like uh, video-licious video. Uh, yeah, uh, there, there will be some sort of post-race interview done. Uh, not with you because you'll be able to breathe. It'll be more funny with the guy who is really hoofing it so all right so that's on saturday andrew greif thanks for stopping by uh i'll see you in a few days see you buddy
You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.